Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Fred Nastos, BMO's head of government spread trading, and Trina Reed, BMO's head of CMB mortgage aggregation funding. This episode is titled CMBs, More Questions Than Answers. I'm Ben Reitzes, and welcome to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC sales and trading desk to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep this show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.writesis at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. Trina and Fred, thank you for coming. Very interesting days. And I expect that you both will clear things up for me and everybody. So thank you for coming on. No problem. Great to be here, Ben. So we got the the federal budget yesterday. Uh, It's currently Wednesday. So we got the federal budget on Tuesday. And outside of the mammoth spending that they always put in there, at least for the past few years, there was a surprise for markets. The federal government told us they intend to undertake market consultations on the proposal to consolidate the Canada mortgage bonds within the government's regular borrowing program. So effectively, they'd roll up the Canada mortgage bond program into the government of Canada's regular borrowing. So for all the listeners out there that are not deep in markets, and especially not deep in the Canadian market, Fred, can you explain to us what the Canadian Mortgage Bond Program is. So the the CMB program, Ben, is one of the funding tools that is available in the mortgage market for Canada. What occurs is a portion of all the mortgages that are issued are collected, pooled together into uh, mortgage-backed securities or MBSs. And then some of those MBSs are purchased by the CMHC through a conduit called the Canada Housing Trust with proceeds from a bond issuance that they do called the CMB program. So CMBs trade in a secondary market uh, and there's price discovery. Uh, they trade with a spread back of Canada bonds. It varies depending on the term of the bonds, but it's around, let's say 30 basis points. So investors buy the CMBs, the cash from the CMB issuance is then used to buy mortgage back these mortgage-backed securities. And then that money flows through the system effectively helping finance uh, a lot of mortgages in the Canadian market. Okay, so let me let me stop you there for a second. Rewind a little bit. This this program started in 2001. Why was it put into place? And I think it's, it's important to start there. Sure. So in 2001, MBSs existed. Uh, they traded, but they were very illiquid products. Okay? They traded with a spread back of Canada's. The MBSs themselves were guaranteed by the federal government, by the CMHC, but they were very they were very illiquid, and a lot of investors shunned them. They, they just weren't that interested in, in in participating in them. When you own an MBS, you you have exposure to uh, prepayments from mortgages. There's a lot of administrative work just just around managing a, a position in those in those securities. So there was a wonderful idea um, to create the Canada Housing Trust that would basically take care of a lot of that administrative work. And it would issue a bullet bond, a plain old vanilla bond, um, and use the proceeds of that to buy uh, a collection of all these different MBSs, creating one liquid asset for investors. 
and then the Canada Housing Trust manages um, the prepayment risks. So, uh, so I think the offshoot of that is that Canada Housing Trust takes no risk. Canada Housing Trust then has, um, again, highly rated institutions face them in a total return swap with mm, the MBS flows right. and the bullet bond flows. So, yeah, so they uh, manage that risk, right? That's sort of... A th the banks manage. So okay, we manage okay, that right, risk okay. on our side for CHT. So mm -hmm. we enter into a swap to guarantee the CMB coupon and the CMB principal, and we receive the MBS principal and the MBS interest from CHT. So CHT is just facilitating the cash flows uh, on, between the CMB and the MBS uh, mismatch in duration. Okay, I, that last part, facilitating cash flows between the two sides, is effectively what the what these bonds are doing. What what what's the the Canada Housing Trust role is in all of this? And so, if they're just a middleman, where is the issue here for the government? I mean, what what they've highlighted is that, and and this was in in the budget. Uh, despite carrying the same credit rating, CMBs are a more costly form of borrowing compared to regular government of Canada bonds. So they, Fred mentioned earlier, they traded a 30 basis point spread or depending on the term, uh, just, just call it 30 to be nice and round. Should they be flat to Canada's? Why do they trade with a spread in the first place if it has the same guarantee? Uh, I think this is, this is one area where there is uh, a fair amount of confusion, I guess, and, and just lack of knowledge and, and I'd be guilty of that too until probably today, uh, as to why CMBs trade back of Canada's. Can you please enlighten our listeners as to why there is a spread there over Canada's? So, uh, I mean, that's a, that's, a, um, that's a very common question, right? And every time we meet new investors to Canada who are interested in Canada mortgage bonds, they ask, where does the spread come from? Why is there a spread if it's government guaranteed? So, we have to keep in mind that the CMB program is a effectively a clearing rate for all these MBSs. There's a liquidity risk that that clients take on when they buy these bonds. They're a different form of collateral for a lot of the a lot of the participants in the marketplace. They have they can have a different value in repo, for example, and so those those different factors come together to sort of provide to add a spread that investors need to be compensated. If there was no spread, investors wouldn't buy them. They would just buy government of Canada bonds, so that spread is varied. You know, pr before the financial crisis, it traded the, the CMBs would trade in, uh, you know, maybe an average spread of around fifteen back of Canada's. Post financial crisis, they've widened out to you know high twenties, low thirties, that that area. And I think there's just housing market attached to that, right? Attached to that spread. There's a housing market premium there. This is perceived exposure to the housing market, which, you know, we know there are, all of these mortgages are all default insured by CMHC, SAGEN, or Canada Guarantee. There is no no risk to the investors. They have the stamp of uh, CMHC guarantee on the security, uh, both MBS as well as the CMB. Um, but I think that premium, on top of the reasons Fred uh, mentioned, is is also just related to the housing market news uh, headlines and stuff. I mean, maybe then the move here by the government is warranted. I mean, the, the reality is there shouldn't be housing market attached to them. Like, it's not... There's no real risk from a housing market perspective. Well, it is mortgage. Sorry. So correct. No part, default but risk. But no it, default if, risk. if you're buying the CMB, you're not really taking exposure to the underlying mortgage because you're not exposed to the prepayment risk and you're not expo like, you know, to, to all of the underlying factors of, of the mortgage. So 
if the market could have bear, you know, could have taken MBS back in the time and, and was okay with amortizing securities, the market could have evolved um, very effectively then, but it didn't. And I think the, the CMB was a good substitution. It provided this ability for um, a lot of the smaller lenders to access liquidity on a quarterly cadence that, um, you know, bought all kinds of pools, no matter who issued them um, and what size they were and, and what pool type. I mean, there's also various pool types that uh, CHT would buy that the market would never see. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's there's lots of reasons it's proved very helpful for smaller lenders um, that are involved in the insured mortgage market. I, I guess to add on to what you're saying there, the 30 basis point spread that we're referring to is basically a drop in the in the spread of the MBSs, right? It's a it's an upgrade in a sense, right? You're, the MBSs are trading wider than that. Where, where does MBS trade now? In so so a new issue five year again, and the weighted average life of a, a four year MBS I think is is probably high forties um, fifty uh, over the four year. The the mm-hmm. CMB is thirty over the the five year. So it's um, 10 to 20 tighter. But there's different. So from an issuer's perspective, uh, so we buy mortgages and we pool them. There's fees attached that are not just the spread you see in the trading uh, world, right? So there's fees attached to creating securities. And depending on how you fund them, my cost of funds is not just the spread on the product. It is bigger than as it is for other lenders. So um, sometimes the cost of funds in MBS is cheaper as it was through COVID. Uh, so a lot of folks would fund by selling MBS directly to the market and they didn't need the CMB, but um, curve inversion, et cetera, lots of things that, that have happened have have made the CMB the cheapest cost of funds. So it ebbs and flows, um, but the, the liquidity component of the CMB is, is the key piece. It's always there to buy uh, no matter what through any um, you know, disruption in the market. It is. It has always been there to buy MBS from small and big lenders and provide that liquidity. But the the as Fred mentioned, that spread over CMBs is purely a pass through to the borrower based on uh, you know the, the cost of funds that they will get for that insured mortgage. So the borrower, uh, if it's you know thirty basis points over CMBs, uh, me as an MBS seller would would bear that cost that thirty. And if it's it's fifty, CMHC wouldn't really care, right? Because they're not paying that cost. It is me as an issuer that is paying that cost, and I would be th- then be forced to pass that cost on through to the borrowers. So simple, that last point is key there. So the government's not actually paying these wider spreads. The government does not pay these wider spreads. The government does not manage the risk on the underlying mortgages in the current scenario. Uh, that is done by by all the swap counterparties. So, if if you were to look at the government's financial statements, uh, there are there is no line item for 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 Canada Housing Trust interest. Uh, they actually just get a dividend from CMHC. Uh, that that it's it's really the, the money flows the other way. That would be the guarantee fees that I pay to, uh, <laughs> to them for the, the money flows to the government, not away from it. So <laughs> that the the in the budget, them noting the budget noting that uh, the, the the higher borrowing cost. Uh, I mean, they're they really don't even even bear that. But are what, they talking about the higher borrowing cost for the government or the borrower, right? Because all of this kind of leads to higher borrowing costs for potentially you for the borrower. To, you have to assume they're referring to their borrowing costs because they yeah. talk about they talk about GOC using, issuance, the GOC issuance, and they talk about the reducing the debt charges gives them a chance to reinvest the savings. Okay, so this is what this is the next question I have for both of you. How do they capture that spread? Like, are, what are they going to do? 
how how will they structure the mortgage market, I guess, the Canadian mortgage market to ensure what they say is stable access to mortgage financing. And so kind of maintain the status quo to some extent, at least for the end user, but change the CMB program. So I feel this is the first point that needs to be clarified. Um, exactly how will the program be implemented? Uh, you know, I guess there's various different ways you can envision this. One is that uh, the CHT is dissolved. And as the government issues more Government of Canada bonds, they take the proceeds of that issuance and they just purchase MBSs effectively from your desk, right? Yes. Um, and another way that this could come about, that they could implement this, I guess, is they could keep the CHT, mm-hmm. still manage it, and as they issue more Government of Canada bonds, use the proceeds of that just to you know, fund the CHT very much like this, you know, the equivalent to a, a CMB issuance, right? So, so they could buy the MBS or they could buy the CMB. They yeah, could right. issue the CMB and be the sole investor in the CMB right. and get the returns, that 30 basis mm-hmm. points uh, on that, that side. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Would um, they actually make money? Like, is, so is the there the day, actually a benefit at the, the end of the day for the, them? The reason they have a dividend that they they pay out is because they get guarantee fees from the, the folks that pool. So the we'll still pay that. Um, that that So they could take that dividend they use now and use that uh, for affordable housing or whatever initiatives I think that they have on their, their list of things to do. Um, I think by potentially by taking the investors out of the equation, it may give them some more flexibility on achieving the goals that they want in affordability, potentially. Uh, I mean, again, speculation around how they plan to roll this out, but that could, uh, you know, through their ESG goals and, and affordability goals, they could potentially not have to worry about an investor at the end of uh, of that whole program. And they could just incent me, the issuer, by saying, if they want, if their goal is to generate more affordable product, they're going to incent me in a way to say, your guarantee fees are half price if you go out and generate a bunch of affordability product, right? So it, it allows them to, to influence the market directly through to the pooler and the lender, um, whereas now they're a bit uh, focused on the investor base and satisfying the investor base um, in the CMB market. Okay, so there is a potential benefit for them from from this beyond just the money they can change. The, I think the, the money stays the, the same. I, I think the like again the guarantee fees that are paid, uh, assuming they still get us to pay them. I mean, if they're holding the MBS, I'm not sure why they would need a guarantee fee paid by them to pay themselves unless they're fundamentally changing that structure. But if there's guarantee fees still to be paid, then they could use those guarantee fees to, uh, you know, do the, do whatever it is. That, and I suspect they're not going to give us GOC cost of funds. It's going to be GOCs plus some, some spread, um, potentially. So there will be some uh, margin there for them to, to then invest in the initiatives they, they would like to execute. Okay, so where, where could this go wrong? Why, why might this be an issue? Why... There will be consultations over the next few months. Surely uh, finance will go out and talk to all the banks, talk to all the investors or many investors at least, uh, and, and canvas and see what, uh, what, what, what the market's thoughts are and participants' thoughts are. What will be the objections uh, to, to, to ending the program? 
So why don't I give the mortgage originator point of view and then Fred can jump in and, and give like the, the whole trading sure. um, point so, of view perfect. from from investors. Uh, so I think mortgage originators, again, like I said, a lot of my clients would, would be smaller mortgage originators that have depended on the liquidity. So I think there's going to be a, a, a huge focus around that liquidity still being there in, in some way, shape or form like the CMB was for them and and if it isn't and if that cost is going to be more variable and not as consistent as the cmb i think it will it will uh, definitely have those folks rethinking how they're going to play in the insured mortgage market uh, again, the insured mortgage market is is generally just one one piece of their their funding needs. So if this uh, becomes uh, less stable and more expensive, they may just have to pivot and fund their their insured mortgages the same way they they fund their uninsured mortgages, which could mean more pressure on the GIC market. It could be you know they're, they're going to have to find those funds uh, somewhere else because this this won't exist for them. I. I uh, I think from that perspective, on the single family at least, that will be um, one thing that they will look at. I think in the multifamily space, which is a little bit of a different animal, um, again, the, the multifamily space is almost entirely consumed by the CMB, and that liquidity is very important for that market. And the hedging off the back of uh, the multifamily business is also, again, against the CMB. So for mortgage originators, I think they need to see that um, they need to know what that spread will be so they can originate a pipeline and not have that variability and and need to warehouse it much longer than they thought because there's market disruptions, et cetera. So um, I, I think that will be the, the main focus for, for the mortgage originators. Sounds like there's some risk that mortgage rates could move higher if that liquidity is not there when they need it. Absolutely. Yes. All right. Do, do you think, Trina, that the federal government would have to sort of guarantee a spread you know, throughout. I think they could do it like a fee-based thing based on the term, you know, again, through the guarantee fees potentially, but a very similar type of scenario where folks can go out and originate mortgages knowing that they're what the clearing price is, right? That they can they can get off those mortgages. Should that vary with credit conditions? Um I mean, that's a good question. I, I think they, they, they potentially could reset it uh, a couple of times a year. Uh, again, mortgage pipelines are generally, you know, 30, 60, 90 days. So um, I think, you know, getting that answer in the middle of... of I guess know, like a pre-approval, you can just have it locked in for the next 90 days and then whatever, tomorrow it changes exactly. for the next 90 yes. days and so yeah. on and so forth. Okay. Fred, what about the uh, investor side of things? Where where can all of this go wrong? Well, I... I I don't know if it'll go wrong. It's just more, I guess. Where um, could there be problems? So, first, the federal government will actually need to raise uh, a lot more money. All right, the CMB program is about two hundred and sixty billion. They do about forty billion a year of CMB issuance, and that will be issuance that the government will will have to take on at the federal level. It's unclear to me that issuing another forty billion every year, you know, in perpetuity, will um, will come at the same levels as, as government government Canada bonds do right now. Government Canada bonds are very, very expensive um, as far as global bonds go. Our government gets a great a great borrowing rate for their programs. You know, one measure that we use is is where bonds trade versus OAS, right? And the OAS market defines what the market expectations are for short-term rates over long periods of time. And government Canada bonds typically trade around OAS flat. Okay, so um, a government Canada bond trades are always flat. A U.S. Treasury trades around OAS plus twenty. Okay, so if 
suddenly the extra 40 billion a year of issuance, or it could be more as, as you were could explaining. Be, yes. yeah. Yeah. If that if that cheapens up Government of Canada bonds to be say, you know, just pick a round number like OAS plus five, then suddenly the extra carry that they're making off the 200 or off the $40 billion of CMBs that they're buying effectively goes away mm-hmm. because they're refinanced because they have to reprice their entire stock of issuance at a wider spread. And that stock of issuance is over a trillion dollars. Just to toss it out there. That's right. Yeah. So the CMB market represents about 25% of federal issuance, right? So we would have a it's significant. I didn't, I didn't yeah. realize it would be. Yeah. So we we have a government that who's who you where uh, you have know, 20%. So if you have two, 250 mm-hmm. billion of 1.3 or so 20% of their debt would be to finance mortgages. And is that, is any other country doing this? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not, I, I can't answer that, but I, 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 more of the question is like, is that what we should be doing with, is that what the government's job is? I can say, you know, the closest thing to my program from what I've read in the U.S. is Ginny May, and they, they have the underlying mortgages insured as well as the, the, the security pooled, but they certainly don't have the, the bullet solution for investors. They just sell the pass through, through MBS. So uh, the government isn't uh, funding that. They're guaranteeing it, but they're not funding it. So it, it does become a different conversation, I think, when you have the government actually buying uh, the mortgages. Definitely. I think that that's where I can, my head starts to spin. I was like, I, I can't imagine the government owning my mortgage. It doesn't make much sense to me. I don't think I want my uh, government exposed to the housing market. Uh, then, then the economy is double exposed. Um, one difference, though, is the U.S. The U.S. has 30-year mortgages, and we do not. They have various terms, mortgages, yes. They have the yes. capability. But so then they, they also uh, have a lot more prepayment risk than we do here. So the risk to be managed is very well known by investors, and they're very comfortable with it. In Canada, it's it's it, because there's actual pay, prepayment penalties on the underlying mortgage. It uh, deters a lot of folks from pe- prepaying their mortgage. So there there is not a lot of fluctuation. I mean, there, there is definitely fluctuation when... Uh, rates move lower. There are some prepayments, but it's certainly not, um, you know, what what we're looking at in the U.S. There, that is definitely uh, a different um, risk management uh, criteria. Then why are MBS so hard to trade here? Why 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 is the liquidity so the challenging? MBS, the MBS also pays indemnity um, fees when rates do go lower, right? So you get made whole. So uh, the reason. I mean, it could be said that the reason MBS is uh, so difficult in Canada is because the CMB exists. But the, and the second part of that way around, though, doesn't the CMB exist because the it MBS? Does. So there is a, a point where you, you will you will limit the growth because you, you're you're not reaching that market. But the uh, the other piece of that is pre 2011 um, accounting rules stated that when you securitized and sold those MBS pools, you got that off your balance sheet. Um, so. Because that is no longer the case, the, the banks don't have the benefit in selling those MBS, so they don't sell those MBS to the market, so they don't get balance sheet relief from selling the MBS to the market. That's another key difference between us and the U.S. Uh, the U.S. market as well. Okay. The other the other part of what could uh, you know what what else is impacted besides Fred's world in the, in the spreads and trading and my world in in mortgage aggregation. There's also the seller swap component of the existing you know CMBs that that are in the market. Uh, those those are fairly significantly sized books where again like I mentioned earlier the the CHT um, trades that are done with the dealers 
um, and the banks to manage the risk off the amortizing mortgages and the bullet CMB or them in themselves big buyers of MBS. So if that goes away, the, the there's no there no longer is a need for that replacement asset component uh, for MBS purchases inside of of that program as well. Another aspect um, that was brought up today at, at various points, uh, CMBs are a HQLA asset mm-hmm. in Canada. Yeah. And if you eliminate $260 billion of that asset, what replaces it? Yeah. yeah that, and that was that from the investor side, of course, is a uh, is a key question. So before we even go there, I think there's another question of what happens to the stock of CMBs that are existing in the marketplace right now and um, what how do they how will they trade? Right. So we've seen we've seen spreads on CMBs tighten seven to eight basis points since the announcement. There's definitely sort of a scarcity premium attached to them, but there's a risk that after a few years that they sort of become uh, what we call orphan bonds that uh, that don't have they don't have a lot of focus and don't trade very readily. But to your point, though, they do make up a lo- they make up a large part of the HLA assets that are owned by by Canadian banks, and those assets will need to be replaced. Right. Uh, so every every Canadian bank has a portfolio of high quality liquid assets that they can use if they ever need to to raise liquidity um, that they can sell, and CMBs make a large part of it, and that will need to be replaced with what are um, the alternatives? With alternatives, which are the main alternative would be provincials. Okay. So this is actually you know this this has a uh, a slight positive to provincial issuers. Um, it should help their spreads especially in the short end, which is where a lot of these HQLA assets sit. Um, the five-year part of the curve isn't necessarily a part that issue very regularly, but if suddenly the, the spread of five-year provincials to Canada's is tightened enough to the point where it's almost, say, equivalent to CMBs, that might entice the, the provinces to issue a lot more in that space. I guess that opens the door then if uh, the CMB program is, is taken away for, for the provinces to issue a lot more in the five-year sector, and we could see them really pick things up there, especially if spreads tighten decently. Well, let's, let's wrap up on one last point. Trina, can you tell us how big the mortgage market is and how, how important CMBs are relative to the housing market as a whole? So if we if we look at just the the prime market in Canada, I think it, it's fair to say that um, the size of the the whole market would be about 1.8 trillion residential mortgages. I think the insured because the CMB and the NHMBS only uh, fund the insured mortgage product, which is a portion of that that overall 1.8, and um, that that number um, in total rolls in at about 450 billion. Uh, of insured mortgages that are, um, you know, funded via MBS, via uh, the CMB, and you know, again, various other ways to fund. But the, the program itself, um, again, the, the CMB is funding only the insured component through MBS. So it's a big part of the market, but there, the market is far larger uh, than than just uh, the insured part of things. Overall, it's been shrinking since 2016 and, and the insurance rules have changed. I think there was a time when that was closer to 60%. That insured number was 60% of the market. Um, it's been trending downwards since 2016. Um, and the single family specifically has been trending lower, whereas the multifamily insured component has been growing. 
Okay. Um, thank you both for, for coming in and, and chatting with me today. Uh, there, I mean, clearly there are still a lot of questions that need to be answered here. Uh, we are going to be, I'm sure we'll be consulting with the government at some point in the next uh, few months, at least you guys will be, and we'll see where things pan out. But uh, stay tuned. Still still lots of questions. We'll, we'll see if we get answers and, and hopefully uh, this resolves in a, a market-friendly, borrower-friendly, everybody-friendly way because uh, we, we could sure use that. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. For full legal disclosure, visit bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.